The following is a message by Dr. R. Scott Clark of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. You may be seated. Almighty God and merciful Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus, asking your blessing on our meditations, uh, that we may come more clearly to see him revealed in the word of God, that we may come more heartily to love him, and that we may come more uh, thoroughly to be conformed to his image. For Jesus' sake, amen. The passage this morning uh, is from Mark chapter 8, as we're uh, doing a series this uh, semester in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I volunteered to do this particular passage, and, and so they scheduled me first. Uh, but we're in the middle of Mark, Mark chapter uh, 8, beginning with verse uh, 31 through, through 9, 1. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see see the kingdom of God after it has come uh, with power. That's for the reading of God's word. May he uh, write this word on our hearts and give us true faith. Friends in the Lord, um, as I understand the Gospel of Mark, and, and there are certainly different reconstructions and and um, understandings of the original setting, and I understand that the, what I'm about to say is, I guess, controversial in the sense that not very many people would accept this um, reconstruction of the original setting. But I, I take it that Mark is a very early gospel, um, possibly as early as 45 A.D., following uh, Peter's visit to Rome, and this is Mark's essentially summary of what it is that Peter had been teaching uh, the Roman Christians uh, and uh, not that it's that's entirely uh, entirely relevant, except that it's, it does seem to me it's rather certain that this was written to a, a Latin-speaking congregation somewhere, and and the most folks seem to think that it has something to do with with Rome. Uh, and so these are Christians uh, who are in a, uh, a political hotbed, uh, and 
It's a lot like living in Washington, D.C. These are people who uh, understand something about power, they understand something about kings, and they understand something about kingdoms. But it seems to me that the Gospel of Mark wants to say to these Roman Christians, uh, you may understand something about kings and, and kingdoms, but I have a message for you about a king and a kingdom that completely transcends what you know about kings and kingdoms. You know about pressure politics. You know about who's in and who's out. You know about who's in favor and who's not in favor, who was seen coming and who was seen going, and who got exiled to the far reaches of the empire and who was brought in. That's what you know, but, but let me tell you and let me refresh your memories and let me summarize for you, he's saying, what the Apostle Peter was saying to you about another king and his kingdom, and I think that's one of the great uh, structural themes of this gospel. And though it seems odd maybe to start a series in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, it's actually quite appropriate because this is the turning point. And so if you, it's helpful sometimes to know the end from the beginning and, and to, to see what uh, uh, the thing is really all about. And if you want to know uh, what the Gospel of Mark is really uh, all about, it's right here in this passage. This is the thing uh, to which Mark has been leading up. And as uh, you work through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus uh, goes farther, he goes north all, all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, and then he works his way down. And uh, this, uh, the Gospel uh, gradually moves Jesus as the story moves along rather rapidly, as it's intended to. Uh, Jesus uh, is moved uh, in a literary sense, and as he actually did, uh, back to Jerusalem. And he's moving uh, inexorably to a great final conflict with the Jewish authorities and, as he's been telling them right along, to uh, his own death. And, and here you see in verse 31, it says, and he began, but certainly uh, he had been intimating this uh, along. But he's clearly now revealing to his disciples and to anyone really uh, with them who will listen, uh, but certainly to his disciples, that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, uh, will suffer many things. I am, I am a king, and I have a kingdom. He came preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I am a king, and I have a kingdom, and the kingdom has come with me, but it's not the kind of kingdom you think, and, it's, and I'm not the kind of king that you think or the kind of king for which you are evidently looking. Son of man must suffer many things, and he must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. The kind of king I am is a kind of king that will be rejected. The kind of kingdom I have is a kind of kingdom that is consonant with a king who will be killed and rejected. If you would enter into that kingdom, you have to align yourself with that kind of king. If you are in a kingdom, and if you want to be with a king, you have to do things the king's way. You have to look at things the king's way. And if you don't look at things the way the king looks at them, he sends you away. And he brings in people who, who do look at things his way for the most part. And that's true of Jesus. And he said, and he said this plainly, verse 32, and he said it so plainly, Peter began to get it. Well, wait a minute. This isn't what we had in mind at all. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, listen, Jesus, you know, we've got plans for you, baby. We, we're going places. We're going to do things. We, we could have an impact on the culture. 
We can transform this culture. We can take back this culture. And people will follow you. They like you. You've got something here. Come on. You, you can't start talking about being rejected and suffering and dying. This, this will kill the whole thing. And, of course, that's Jesus' intention. His intention is to kill the whole thing. Because the whole thing that they want isn't at all what Jesus wants. His intent was to do something quite different than what they had in mind. For Jesus, the kingdom of God, beginning with himself, is about rejection, suffering, and death. That's the kingdom of God, just in case no one's ever told you that before. So if, you were, if you're thinking, you know, it's great to be a citizen of the kingdom of God so we can go out and do great things and be powerful and triumphant and glorious and, and usher in the golden age in our lifetime, if we can just get X done, we can do it. I have a word from the Lord for you this morning. It has never worked that way. It didn't work that way for Jesus. It didn't work that way for the apostles. And it's not going to work that way for you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, begins and ends, at least in this life, with suffering, rejection, and death. So if you're thinking this morning, I want to go serve the Lord, I say, that's great. But the call of the kingdom of God is not to enter the kingdom and to serve the king and to achieve glory, but it is to follow the king and to be rejected, to suffer, and to die. If you think, wow, that Clark, he's just a radical, he's extreme, he, he's always going over the top. All those things may be true, but they're perfectly beside the point. Because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As my old friend Don Trike says, it's in the Bible. It's right there on the page. What does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean for uh, one Jew to say to other Jews, take up your cross? The call is to suffer and die, but what is the call uh, to do? It's to take up the cross. That gets us to our second C, crucifixion. You're a Jew. What does crucifixion symbolize? It symbolizes the height of Roman oppression. Here are these filthy Gentiles, yet another set of Gentile oppressors who are ritually, legally unclean, who bring their filthy, unclean, politically corrupt political structure, and they impose it by force on us, and they seal that imposition by crucifying people who get out of line. They take you, arrest you, convict you, 
and nail you on a cross. That's what they do to criminals. They humiliate criminals. It's a way of saying to people, listen, cross us, no pun intended, get, um, violate our laws. This is what's going to happen to you. See these people up here on this hill? That was intentional. It was intentional intimidation and fear and oppression. And you can imagine how much people hated that. You can imagine how it must have disgusted people, how it must have angered people, how people, people knew, certainly folks knew someone who had been or heard stories of or knew someone who knew someone or had a relative or a friend or co-worker who had been so humiliated. And you know, of course, that public humiliation was strictly reserved in, in biblical law for only certain kinds of criminals. It was, it was a shameful thing to be publicly exposed that way. Jesus says, here's the nature of my kingdom. Do you want to follow me? You have to be crucified. You have to be humiliated. You have to identify with the most, the single most shameful thing that could happen to a Jew under Roman oppression in first century Palestine. You want to have life? The first thing you have to do is lose it. You want to have power? first thing you have to do is become weak. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And for my sake in the Gospels, you'll save it. But what does it profit a man? If you gain the whole world, you see, he knew exactly what the disciples were thinking. We can, we can have it all. We can have Jesus, we can have salvation, we can have power. And Jesus says, you have to choose. You can have the whole world, but it's at the cost of your soul. You have to choose, you see. It's the cost of your who you are. What you are, it's at the cost of your life, really. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his, his life, his soul? What can you give in return for your life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of of his Father with the holy angels. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. That's the the third C, the call, the crucifixion, and the coming. He says to the disciples and now to the crowd, you need to reckon the kingdom of God and yourself relative to the kingdom of God, not only relative to Rome, not only relative to, to me, but also relative to the final consummate state. When When I came, Jesus said, I came and I brought into human history the final state of existence. And that's what my kingdom is. It's the final state of existence. And so you have to reckon reality not only in the light of what you know, but in the light of what I'm telling you about the consummate state. So as you think about what you think, what you consider to be important and significant, Jesus says... 
There is an existence and a life that utterly transcends anything you can even really imagine. And I know because Jesus is implicitly saying, I, I was there. And I came here to make it possible for you to be there with me in the kingdom in its consummate state, in its final state. This is only a provisional expression of the kingdom and the way of entrance into that consummate state is death. And Jesus entered into that consummate state by his death. And we enter into that consummate state by his death and our union with his death, first of all, in faith. Not by doing. Jesus came to do. We enter by trusting. That's what he's doing. He's preaching the, the, the law and the gospel here, and he's saying, you, you would enter into the kingdom. This is what you've got to do. But, of course, none of us can do these things to the degree necessary to enter into consummate life. But Jesus did. Because Jesus' crucifixion wasn't metaphorical. Our crucifixion is metaphorical. We have to, having trusted in Jesus, die to self daily and live to Christ and put to death our desires and our interests and our lusts and our covetousness. But we, of course, never accomplish that fully in this life. Jesus' crucifixion wasn't metaphorical. It was literal. His shame wasn't metaphorical. It was literal. His humiliation wasn't metaphorical. It was literal. And he did it for these disciples. He did it for folks in this crowd. He did it for you. The call this morning is to once again take up this crucified Jesus, this humiliated Jesus, by faith. Is that the Jesus in, in whom you have put your trust? The Jesus who abandoned himself to Roman authorities so that you could have life everlasting in the consummate uh, expression of the kingdom of God. And then having embraced that Jesus by faith alone, are you now this morning committed to taking up your cross as a consequence of what he did out of thankfulness and gratitude? As a member of the kingdom of God, wholly identified now with the king and his kingdom, the interests of the king, the will of the king, the plan of the king, the hope of the king, and the nature of his kingdom, which is by, by design and by revelation, a kingdom that is about death and crucifixion, at least, and self-denial, at least in this life. One day that, that, that self-denial will end. One day the crucifixion, in, in that sense, will, will end. But we're not in that day yet. Today is a day of humiliation. Today is a day of self-denial. Today is a day of embracing a Jesus who did that for us. And for praying for grace from the Holy Spirit, that he might continue to 
work in us and conform us to that life, that pattern. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.